The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. The Writer Files is brought to you by Studio Press, the industry standard for premium WordPress themes and plugins. Built on the Genesis framework, Studio Press delivers state-of-the-art SEO tools, beautiful and fully responsive design, airtight security, instant updates, and much more. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 177,000 website owners trust Studio Press. Go to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress right now. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. These are the writer files. A tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of working writers. From online content creators to fictionists, journalists, entrepreneurs, and beyond. I'm your host, Cal Reed writer, podcaster, and mediophile. And each week, we'll discover how great writers keep the ink flowing, the cursor moving, and avoid writer's block. Welcome back to another guest segment of The Writer's Brain, where I pick the brain of a neuroscientist about the elements of great writing. This week's show covers some possible origins and solutions to an ailment known only to writers. Research scientist Michael Gribko of the Department of Psychology at the University of Washington returned to help me pinpoint the mysteries of writer's block from a scientific standpoint. If you missed any previous installments of the writer's brain on how neuroscience defines creativity, empathy, and storytelling, or the first half of this show, you can find them all in the show notes as well as on writerfiles.fm. Join us for this two-part interview. And if you're a fan of the show, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews and help other writers to find us. In part two of the file, Michael and I discuss three symptoms of writer's block and how to cure them, how your emotions have a profound effect on your creativity, why achieving small attainable goals rewards your brain, how changing work venues can boost your productivity, Hemingway's personal tricks for getting words onto the page, and the importance of regular rituals for eliminating doubt. Well, I think I found, um, you know, kind of uh, an early, early reference to the incubation phase in um, this f- kind of four-stage model of creativity from the 20s that uh, this social psychologist Wallace, who's a British guy, was studying inventors, and he came up with this four-stage model and first stage was preparation, second stage was incubation, 
third stage was illumination and the fourth stage was verification. And it confirms one piece of that puzzle, obviously um, going back to kind of the research um, phase that, that all writers initially have to do to kind of start putting information in there. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, you talked about this before, actually, in our creativity session, you said, you know, the more information you put in there, the bigger pool of ideas you'll have to pull from. And that means more opportunities to be creative. Right. Coming back to uh, kind yeah. of bringing it full circle to creativity. And your original point, you can apply that knowledge um, in a situation that you might be unfam- unfamiliar with to kind of resolve an issue. Right. And, and some of that is happening subconsciously. So yeah. let me just go back to, well, there was a couple of things. I mean, I love kind of the idea of remix culture and uh, a couple of guys, Kirby Ferguson and um, Austin Kleon talk a lot about these basic elements of creativity and that ability being able to copy, transform and combine elements into something new kind of fits into that same, you know, four phases of, or the model of creativity. Right. And I want I want to pull out a clip from Austin Kleon's interview about writer's block. And I think I'll have Toby drop that in right here. I feel like writer's block is just exhaustion, laziness, or fear, or some, you know, combination of them. I also think that, like, I mean, a lot of times when I'm blocked, it's just that I don't want to sit down and write, you know? Mm-hmm. I just don't want to because it's just not my favorite thing to do. I'm, you know, like I would rather read, you know, Fran Lebowitz, she's like, if you ever feel like writing, just lay down on the couch and read a bit, it'll pass. <laughs> you know, that's how I feel, yeah. you know, but, but for me, but I also think that, you know, people hit walls and I think a lot of times when I am just, nothing's coming, that means that I haven't, I, the, when the output doesn't happen, that's cause the, in, there's problems of input. Yeah. A lot of times problems of output are problems of input. And so if you don't have anything coming out, that means there's not good stuff going in. And so that could be anything from like you need to take a trip or you need to just walk away from your desk or you need to like stare at a wall for a while or <laughs> read, you know, just something to kind of like get off, you know, get something jump started, you know. And so a lot of times with block, I'm just like, you know, some people try to power through block. And I'm just like, eh, you know, go walk away for a bit. Cause it's always when, you know, everybody's had that experience. You're in the shower or you're on a walk and that's when the juices start flowing. And then just make sure that you have a, you know, with that said, I think you need a, um, you know, you need the time and place every day to, to do the work. Creativity is a messy process. I think there's this other book called wired to create, um, kind of examining the, the, the creative mind talking a lot about um, how creatives are switching between these rapid thought processes and to generate these new ideas, always working out an idea uh, through critical reflection and considering, uh, you know, the perspective of the artist and the audience. So anyway, um, I think, God, I mean, there's just so much about, kind of input equals output that we could talk about and and engaging our brains. Well, I think there's one more aspect too. And and it's not just input and output, but there's also recall, right? So even if we have the information, we have to be able to access it. And I think that has a lot to do with writer's block. It's not just if we have the information or not. Of course, like I said, um, we can't access information if we don't have it. Yeah. But once... 
we've developed a knowledge base, it's how do we access it? And I think that plays, that's a big issue in writer's block. And that's the one I was kind of interested in. And another important topic on that, I think, is, is emotional states. And yeah. this can influence greatly, I think, our ability to access information. Um, and we touched on this a little bit before, but um, you know, emotional states can have a profound effect on creativity and, and our productivity. Um, of course, there's, there's major bouts of depression and anxiety, um, and even if you want to consider narcissism, narcissism an emotional state, mm-hmm. that can go on for a long time. And those are kind of hard to touch on. And what I wanted to focus on are things we can do today, maybe, like help writers today and help avoid writer's block. And there can be also kind of minor walls we hit, minor bouts of depression and anxiety that we can possibly control. Um, So I I started thinking about that and this, this idea of motivation and motivation learning and individuals being avoidance motivated or approach motivated. Mm-hmm. Meaning that do you go into a task thinking you're going to succeed, being optimistic, or are you, do you approach life kind of in fear when trying to avoid um, failure? You know, oh, I can't, that's something I can't accomplish, I'm not going to do that. And is there, and this has been shown, these, these kind of behaviors, avoidance motivated versus approach motivated, to affect an individual's productivity. Um, avoidance motivated, avoidance motivation tends to lead to depression and anxiety and less productivity. And approach motivated is generally beneficial, but there are some downsides. You can be too optimistic. We've always, you know, we've heard too foolishly <laughs> optimistic. And this can kind of, you know, almost narcissistic behavior. And so I was thinking about that and, and you know, what's the neurological basis for this? And there's quite a bit. This is a huge field of research. Um, Hmm. It comes down to, a lot of it comes down to the neurotransmitter dopamine. And this, so some work done in the late 90s by Wolfram Schultz and colleagues showed that in animal models, um, dopamine neurons in the area of the brain known as the striatum, which is kind of thought of as a reward center in the brain, um, were found, these neurons were found to burst fire in response to rewards, and they would decrease their firing rate or pause in firing if, if, a, if there was punishment. So if a reward wasn't received or was less than expected. Now what's really interesting is that after the animals were trained, they would begin to expect a reward. And they started to see that the, the firing rate would change. So the animals' neurons would start to burst fire before they received the reward, just if they expected to. And mm. then the opposite was also seen. So they would start to perceive a punishment. Yeah. Now, why this is interesting is because now this is evidence that changes in neuronal activity may happen based on our perceived outcome of a situation. Mm-hmm. Right? So before we even know what's going to happen, we can almost affect how we proceed. So, you know, and this research is continuing. It's still going on. Um, so further research on this topic has kind of shown that an individual's perceived out- outcome of a situation can influence how we perform on a task. So there's kind of something said to being optimistic mm-hmm. and pessimism, that you may actually be changing your performance on a task by thinking negati- negatively, being avoidance motivated, like 
yeah. versus approach motivated. Um, so I think that that can apply to writer's block and, and can be um, something writers can work on, people can work on to be more productive is to try to be more approach motivated. And there may be some tangible things we can do to help facilitate this. And I think one of these is kind of set some attainable goals and even small stuff. Um, yeah. You know, as you go through a project, just, all right, I want to get this much research done today. And your brain's going to reward you a little bit. Your brain's going to, all right, here's a little dopamine, six, you know, success, sure. way to go. Um, and this, this kind of getting in this pattern of positive thinking and, and accomplishment may, yeah, may help stave off writer's block. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Yeah, absolutely. And I've heard writers talk about this before. It is um, sometimes a matter of, and there are some famous examples of this, but you know, I've heard writers say, you know, I'll just set a small goal for myself, like 500 words. Right. And it, it's so attainable that often I will get to the end of the 500 words very quickly and then just keep going. Right. Right. <laughs> right? I'll write a thousand, two thousand, whatever that may be. But, but there is that negative, like kind of the death spiral of uh, writer's block that, that I could right. see happening because yeah. all of a sudden, once you've missed or you start, you give yourself too big of a goal, you know, right. um, and you miss it, then you kind of want to avoid it. And that avoidance right. motivation right. I could see work, you know, working yeah. against yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, so one is, you know, problem with writer's block. It can become this, can really snowball. So yeah. Yeah. this deadline, all of a sudden the anxiety builds, anxiety, anxiety makes it harder to work and be productive. But then there's also the idea, you know, the, the, problem with being approach motivated is you can set a goal that's too lofty and convince yourself you're going to be successful 
And if we miss that goal, yep. then it can be a very dramatic um, yeah, and negative process. And also, I think this is important too for managers to realize and supervisors um, what kind of environment are they creating in their workplace and to think about you know, some approach-motivated goals and things like that and be sure for to reward sure. people when they do a good job and not just hang deadlines over their heads. That's really going to... Um, you know, create an unhealthy environment. There's so much here. There's so much to talk about. How, so should we get, start to get into how do we resolve writer's block once it's actually set in? Yeah, I think, yeah, going over and thinking about what we just talked about and, and introducing some of these, these sort of behaviors back into your schedule help a lot. I think this incubation stage really comes up time and time again. We started our, uh, this podcast off by talking about Maria Konnikova's article in The New Yorker. Yeah. And, and she went back and looked at some of this early research on emotional states of the writer and how they helped defeat or overcome, writers overcome writer's block by using what they called directed mental imagery. And this is where the subjects would focus on a, a creative project that was unrelated to the one they were working on for a period and then go back to their original work. Mm-hmm. And they, they found some um, success with this approach. And I think the eff- efficacy of this approach may be tied to that incubation period that we were discussing earlier. For sure. So if, if individuals are, are feeling blocked, maybe you know hitting the pause button is a good idea. Just take a step back, give yourself a moment. And then, as we were talking about earlier, it might be good to have another hobby, another task in your life to kind of divert your attention away for a while. So try focusing on something else for a little bit and then go back to the project that you were working on. 100% believe in that. And then back to the um, approach voided and avoidance motivated. I think if you, you are blocked, you know, just go back to the basics, just set some kind of basic goals for yourself. Um, just easy stuff you can accomplish to kind of get that ball rolling and get some confidence back too. Yeah. So that might be a good good uh, step to take if beginning to have writer's block set in. Yep. You know, I, I keep thinking that, and I, I'm thinking about um, another piece in the New York Times that was arguing that we, or at least the title of it was The End of Reflection, um, this piece by Teddy Wayne, where he talks about our compulsive obsession with checking social media and how we're plugged in all the time yeah. to smartphones and, and the internet and how our brains begin to just get engaged all the time. And, uh, you know, with the speed of high-speed internet and, and ease of use of all these different tools that we're using to constantly be plugged in, we're not really giving ourselves the opportunity to have that incubation phase. So some of those neuronal connections aren't being made. I, I don't know. I think it comes back to, you know, unplugging. And I think, um, you know, I was just thinking of a handful of things myself, um, like writing longhand in a notebook or on note cards. Right. Um, you know, instead of using a computer, which actually yeah. has been proven to be uh, more effective in learning. Okay. Um, reading a book, like a paper book. Right. Couldn't hurt. I mean, I know that you can... Um, use an e-reader that's not connected to the internet, obviously, and those are effective too, but turning off your phone for a period or using apps that block the internet, plenty of, uh, plenty right. of uh, well-known writers do that. 
Um, taking yeah, this, a walk, taking a long walk yeah. in nature. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just get away for a bit. This, yeah. yeah, this technology is internet and information technology is, is evolving yeah. so quickly. Yeah, and it's really hard to predict what the outcome of this will be. But, you know, we now, as you said, we have so much information available just at our fingertips that, yeah, we may not be able to, we may not be giving ourselves the time we need to step away from these things and really give ourselves that incubation period. And maybe we may be, we might be missing some important, important neuronal activity or not giving neuronal activity the time it needs to fully develop in these ideas and be productive. Yeah. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. So, um, you talked about mixing things up. Uh, yeah, I think that's another good way to get away, um, to give yourself an incubation period, to have something else to do yeah. besides just this task. And it's very easily to get uh, overrun on one task. And our brain likes to, yeah, it likes activity. It likes yeah. things to do. Um, and it likes surprises, I guess, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of writers also talk about the importance of changing venues or at least designating a, a, a special place or a special computer for doing writing to increase their productivity. But it has been actually proven that uh, changing your surroundings to a place uh, where others are actually hard at work on their own projects has been proven to influence us. Um, and help us concentrate. It's actually literally contagious. Um, sure. This study, which I'll link to, talked about how seeing other people in um, postures of exertion or um, working hard at a tat, you know, like in that kind of, or I don't know if it's their face or just being at a coffee shop. It's also been proven that the ambient sounds of the coffee shop are helpful to writers uh, or at least to productivity. And there's something scientific about uh, kind of, I don't know, the accountability of having a pair of eyes on you. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, this, this could be interesting. Um, I think there's a lot of things to talk about here, but one we can link back to um, our discussion on empathy and that could be part of it. You yeah. Know? that we tend to, our behaviors can be somewhat contagious and we sort of mirror and mimic individuals around us and yeah. they mimic us as well. Um, so that may be an aspect to this. Yeah, um, yeah. So being, and I think that again, speaking to supervisors, managers, this is something that they can think about and what kind of environment do they want to work in? What's the good environment for their productivity and yeah. what kind of people, and then also listening to the people they hire, you know, what do they need and to be productive and creating a culture that people can feed off each other. Absolutely. And, and yeah, it's not surprising that, yeah, venue is important. Venue is important. You know, also very interesting is kind of the, this idea of the solitude of the writer because, you know, writing is a, is a very, intimate, <laughs> private thing. Right. Um, and that's why a lot of writers kind of cloister themselves off in, uh, uh, you know, a writer's retreat or, a, you know, right. uh, a cabin in the mountains. But that's not always the best place <laughs> to right. get yeah, writing I, Again, I, I'll reference back to our talk about rhythms and different, how our brain activity changes over the course of a day. And, and yeah. yeah, certain aspects of the creative process are probably where 
more prone to a certain venue or, or more productive in a certain venue yeah. and a certain task, maybe you have to change venues. So doing for research sure. versus writing may involve different different environments. I love that. And I also do love working in a coffee shop. But there are times when I just can't work in a coffee shop when it's too distracting or you know, I really need right. to I really need flow. So I need quiet and no no movement. They do actually have apps uh, that have a coffee shop, <laughs> um, <laughs> coffee shop soundtrack, which I, I have used in the past um, and can attest to. And made a little coffee odor too. <laughs> no, but you, but you could put a coffee, a cup of coffee next to your desk okay. and just kind of waft it your way <laughs> uh, or drink it. So uh, anyway, I think there's so much here. Um, hopefully, we've we've offered some ideas for writers. You know the importance of the incubation phase, which, you know, allows your brain to do some of those subconscious, cool subconscious things. If you ever had an aha moment in the shower or, you know, on a walk or on a bike ride, when you're not thinking about the, the work at hand, all of that kind of stuff. I wanted to go, I just wanted to touch on some tips from Ernest Hemingway, just to go back to like a, like a seminal like writer and some of his advice that he, that were collected in uh, a book called Ernest Hemingway and writing where he just dropped some wisdom. And there, these are obviously not all weren't all in one place, um, but were collected from his letters. First one that he said was to, to get started, write one true sentence. And I think that kind of goes back to the kind of setting attainable goals. Yeah. Um, because, hey, look, you write one great sentence and everything kind of goes from there. So so you have a taste of success. You- yeah, yeah. And he was saying, I mean, I'll go back to, you know, just kind of general advice for writers, which, you know, going all, all the way full circle to the idea that, you know, the writer's brain can be compared to like a pro athlete's brain. Well, where does that come from? So much of that is from practice, right? From um, repetition. And there's another great book called Around the Writer's Block by an author, Roseanne Bell, where she discusses that whole thing. I mean, she really gets into it, digs into it. But just to bring it back to Hemingway, she's she kind of drilling in the idea that, you know, you're training your brain through repetition and practice. And in order to write well, you have to write, period. (laughs) And to write, you've got to write badly. You kind of, you're always going to start out writing something crappy. So Hemingway's famous quote, of course, is I write one page of masterpiece for 91 pages of (laughs) and I try to put the in the wastebasket and that's where the editing process comes in, right? (laughs) That verification process. I love that. Anyway, uh, a couple others from Hemingway really quick. Always stop for the day while you still know what will happen next. Of course, that's a fiction thing, but kind of keeping that interest alive. The incubation thing he touches on, yeah. ne- never think about a story when you're not working on it. Sure. Incubation. I mean, it was there. And then when it's time to work again, always start by reading what you've written so far. So you're kind of uh, firing up those, I guess, right. those neural pathways again. Uh, accessing the information again. Yeah. yeah. Recall. And then he he swore by using a pencil when he wasn't at the typewriter. And again, kind of that, that um, handwriting to start out. Yeah. Kind of, May help uh, with... Uh, Acquiring knowledge and maybe a useful yeah. tool for memory and formation. Different works your brain yeah. a different way. Right. Okay. Well, to kind of wrap up here, 
you know, I think that writers need to find rituals and routines. I know this is a question I ask writers on the podcast quite often, you know, kind of do they have some psych up rituals to get them in the moon? Everyone is different. Everyone has different stuff. Some have right. none at all. I know in Twyla Tharp's book, uh, The Creative, Creative Habit, she talks a lot about how rituals eliminate doubt. And of course, I think that's probably part of part of what you touch on as well. Right. And I think, like we were we were saying, you know, there's there's going to be a lot of individual differences here based on people's history, and and yeah, yeah find out what works best for you, the writer, and and for sure. just because one writer thinks right defines writer's block as a certain thing, and you don't agree with that, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wrote a piece uh, for Copy Blogger called Eight Strange Rituals of Productive Writers," <laughs> and again, kind of like pro athletes, you know. These rituals, they don't have to be orthodox, which I'll get to. Um, they just have to be regular. And you just have to kind of build those muscles. Anyway, uh, George Orwell, Mark Twain, Edith Wharton, uh, Winston Churchill, all famous uh, for writing while they were lying down. <laughs> okay. You know? I've never tried it, but welcome yeah, to the yeah, show. Yeah, why not? Um, of course, uh, Charles Dickens and Henry Miller both used to wander around Europe, uh, t- actually right. trying to get lost, and uh, <laughs> again trying to foster creativity by chain- changing their mindset. Yeah, um, a lot of writers will write with music on. This is something I touch on actually in the podcast. Um, and every writer has kind of a different uh, music. Uh, I know that uh, Stephen King likes to listen to rock music. Same with Austin Kleon, and uh, I prefer. Uh, actually ambient music, but okay. the productivity thing, again, touching back on the circadian rhythms, Balzac would get up at midnight and drink black coffee <laughs> well into the next day. Uh, Flannery O'Connor only wrote for two hours a day, and that seems like a pretty attainable uh, a goal. goal. Yeah. She was very, very prolific. Finally, uh, I think I'll wrap up with this one. Pulitzer Prize winning author John Cheever wrote mostly in his underwear. Okay. Um, I'm not <laughs> sure it's a that. neurological basis <laughs> or for that one. I'm, I'm going to leave that one untouched. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. We don't really know why. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Really uh, hey, he's just, he's just trying to just relax, be groovy, man. You know? Yeah. Hey, we have to leave, end on a cliffhanger, right? <laughs> okay. Well, um, I think we, we've covered a lot of good stuff. I think we've offered a lot of good, insights at least into what's happening inside the writer's brain as we try to do and i really appreciate you taking the time to enlighten us man oh this is fun these are interesting questions that i get to think about and i love it when you uh throw these my way yeah it really gets gets me thinking about things so i enjoy it thank you fantastic we'll come back and see us soon and we'll have uh, another um brain uh question for you great looking forward to it all right thanks michael all right thank you Thanks so much for joining us for a glimpse into the workings of the writer's brain. For more episodes of The Writer Files, or to simply leave us a comment or a question, drop by writerfiles.fm. You can always chat with me on Twitter, at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.